funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Episode of the Silver Screen Video with your host, Jonathan and Jacob. Jacob, I'm going to ask how things are going, but I swear to God, if you give us anything that remotely sounds like a weather update, I'll cut the mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm good, man. Not, uh, good. Not, much, not much else to report here in the, uh, the naked city. Yeah, um it's hot. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> you tricked me cuz I was like, yeah, it's hot here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got your ass. Not uh, only did I bring up the weather, but I got you to talk about the weather. Yeah, I was really hoisted by my own petard, if you will. Mhm. Um Hey, so listen. We we've got some big things to get to, guys. We're we're giving you a bonus movie conversation because don't think for a second that we forgot about Oppenheimer. We just didn't talk about it last week because at the time only I had seen it. So uh, I figured that would be a boring conversation. Anyway, I just got to say real quick, all you people out there that are participating in this, I hate you. I'll say that first. (laughs) Oh boy. So I hope, where's, where's this going? I hope that none of our listeners participate in this ridiculous thing that they're doing but this has happened thrice by the way three times in the last few months but i will read about a movie or my wife will tell me about a horror movie and it'll be like this horror movie's fucking awesome it's great people are walking out of the theater people don't finish it on netflix this is the greatest fucking horror movie ever typically when you hear that it's disappointing obviously but this is like okay still i'm gonna fucking check it out if you tell me 10 people faint it while watching this movie. I'm there, obviously. So she tells me about this one movie and I look it up and I'm like, look, this movie doesn't exist. And she's like, no, I saw it. There's like a clip going around, like of this guy giving a review about it. I'm like, this movie doesn't exist. So I looked, I, I, I did a little more research. Doesn't exist. This motherfucker just made it up. So what? then it happens two more times. It just happened again yesterday, which is why it's fresh in my brain. Somebody was like, oh, this movie, this 1997, I think it was, classic. I don't remember the name of it. It started with a Z or some shit. And it made its rounds around fucking TikTok, which, hey, fuck TikTok, unless, you know, if our listeners use this stuff, it's okay. But everybody else. Um, <laughs> it's like, so so this goes around and all this hype is built up. And you're like, oh, fuck, I got to watch this movie. Like, tonight, if this shit's on streaming, I'm watching it because I got to see how disturbing it is. Bam, doesn't exist. So it's 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 weird, man. (laughs) So the only other I've not heard anything about this. And the only other analog I can think of is when people were making up that Scorsese movie called Goncharov. You know, remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I I thought was cute. You know, I thought it was a little funny thing people were doing, which I mean, even though it didn't really sound like a a movie Scorsese would be making in the 70s. But, you know, whatever. It's. People were talking about movies. I'm fine with it, but this is a whole nother level. This is, but it also makes sense on some level. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense that like 
someone would do this to create a or to like a fake horror movie to just for like a prank or just a man that's but that's crazy dude i like i don't i, I don't even i don't even know what my response is to that like yeah, dude, it's so bizarre. It's like, what what do you stand to gain? I guess, like, exposure. But then when everybody finds out, like, that could really have a whiplash effect on your on your channel or whatever the fuck people use on TikTok. Like, it's uh, it's so yeah. weird. And I, this this isn't even, like, me bashing, like, oh, oh, yo, TikTok fucking sucks or any of that shit. I don't have, a, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just, I'm bashing the idea of, of like, spreading this, this bullshit about movies and then it's like oh fuck i like i really want to watch that like i just want to see what all the fuss is about only to find out after two or three clicks on google that it's bullshit it's just really bizarre man we'll see the 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 goncharov thing there, there was an agreed upon thing that this was fake right nobody was trying to fool anybody and like that's what makes this so different is that like yeah there's there's going to be people like who are like caught in this and completely uh disappointed by it or whatever or think that this is a real movie obviously because why wouldn't they you know who would go to the trouble of making up a movie that's crazy you know (laughs) so man what a weird phenomenon i'm gonna have to do some digging into this i have not run across this on tiktok or or anywhere really but it's man i'll tell you what things yeah dude things are things dude with this ai shit man things are getting stranger and stranger man like we're we're really like, dude, this is this is off topic. Well, actually, it is kind of on topic because of a little bit of what I think we're going to talk about with Oppenheimer. But like, do you know the plane lady who said like, who said like, uh, the that motherfucker is not real? Remember that when that happened? Oh yeah, dude, that shit. Hey, I'm fully on board, by the way, with the with the conspiracy theories that she saw something she wasn't supposed to see, and then they like man man in black men in black her brain to do dude. to make her do that apology. <sighs> I, well, we're getting to a point where I'm going to have to step off the consp- uh, I'm going to have to step off Mr. Conspiracy Theories Wild Ride. Like <laughs> <laughs> Like dude, I like when I when I saw that video, I was like, "Oh, it's funny. Yeah, she saw like a demon on the plane or something. Oh, that's funny." And then she disappeared. And then the apology video surfaced, and everybody was like, "It's a clone. It's just straight up a clone." And they were like, "She was wearing a mask." And I was just like, "Dude, I I want to <laughs> Dude, I don't care. That is more fun. That is more fun for me to think about than to think about like she got plastered on the plane and said some crazy shit and then her life got destroyed because she was doxxed. Like, it is. It, of course it is. Of course it's more fun. And I, dude, I'm with it. I'm with that line of thinking most of the time. But for some reason, this hit me with a with a realization of like, oh, my God, like this isn't fun anymore. These people are serious. Like pe- people's brains are getting seriously fucking damaged. Like, it, uh, like <laughs> that was another thing of like Demar Hamlin. De- is that his name? Demar Hamlin. Yeah. The bills player. Uh, the, yeah. The, but yeah, the Buffalo player. And, and people like he, he was in like, I guess he was in a preseason game and people were like, tell me this is the same guy. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I don't, do you think the NFL is making up like marginal defensive backs? Why would they clone? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's the same thing with Jamie Lee Fox. You know, um, everybody thinks he was cloned because of his mysterious illness and shit. 
Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. And dude, the- which is especially funny because he was just in that Netflix movie that was actually pretty good called They Clone Tyrone. <laughs> I'm serious. Did you make that movie up? <laughs> no, it's a great movie. It's got John Boyega and, uh, and Jamie Lee Fox. It's really funny. See now, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I, you know, my brain is scrambled now that I know people are out there making up movies, you know? <laughs> and then this whole fire thing happens in Hawaii and people are like, Mm, the trees aren't burnt that's interesting and it's like jesus what do you think happened do you think the government invented a type of fire that doesn't burn wood like um i'm willing to entertain that notion dude i don't know man i'm ready to get off the wild ride brother i, no, like, I agree some of that shit's too crazy. i mean some of that oh. shit really is it's like come on guys well it's, it's not just that it's crazy like it used to be like there were corners of the internet where that stuff hung out and it was kind of fun to go visit him or whatever. Now it's just fucking mainstream. Now Elon Musk, you know, is just like, hmm, trees aren't burnt. Interesting. You know, like it's, it's gone completely mainstream. We are entering a new intellectual dark age. I truly believe that. Like, people, well, I mean, people Hey, are- not, not that kind of pie, not that kind of podcast, but I will say if anyone takes that moron Elon Musk seriously at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Well, true, true. But like, it's just the platform. More and more people, folks, more and more people are saying that there's giants <laughs> living in the hills of Transylvania. Like, <laughs> I don't know, uh, man. We're, we're, we're a generation, we're a generation away from going back to straight up medieval peasanthood at this point. You know, um, trying to think if that would be a good trade off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got distracted there for a second because the, the whole making up a movie thing really was just it's like another wrinkle in my brain of just like I, I got to get off the ride. <laughs> well, I uh, I am fully on board that she saw a lizard person or something and then they zapped her brain and made her do an apology. But either sure. way, um, or it's a clone or it's something, dude. I hope we're to the point to where we can do clones like that, because then we could just grow our own organs and live forever. Who's the who's the first person you'd want to clone? Would it be alive you? or dead? Well, uh, either. Um, you can take their DNA and you can make a clone of them. You know, just for conversation, probably like Vlad the Impeller, <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. What a great conversation this will be. I don't even know uh, who that is. Alexander the Great. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Helen of Troy. I mean, I don't know, dude. It, 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 history shit, you know. Yeah, once you, start dealing with, once you start dealing with dead people, really, the, the, the options are endless, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, no, I wouldn't want to clone myself. I, I don't want to compete. I just want to be able to, 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 to clone. Like, I want him to stay in a jar. So then I could just take his organs so I can live forever. Well, just do the Andrew Garfield thing where you can clone him and then just like if you ever have kidney failure or whatever, just go <laughs> fucking kill him and dig his kidneys out. That's perfect. That guy, that could work, too. Anyway, yeah. look, we've gotten way off track. Guys, listen, we have two fantastic South Korean movies to discuss. But first, we're going to take a little uh, what do you call it? Uh trip back in time, if you will, to talk about an event that pretty much had no real impact on world history and mm. uh, was a blip on the radar. Uh, Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, look, this movie 
I don't even know where to start. This movie is... It, the, the utilization of sound was... Okay, let's do this. Let's do a quick non-spoiler. <laughs> let's, okay, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this fucking movie, right? How to discuss it. Let's sure. do a quick non-spoiler thing. So, like, we'll, we'll talk about this in a non-spoilery way for a few minutes, and then we'll let you guys know, because a lot of you haven't seen it. If you haven't, go see it in theaters before IMAX if possible. But you can skip ahead to the other two movies, so just so you guys don't get anything spoiled. But long story, or short story, short version, I loved it. Everything was fantastic. I really don't have any gripes. I thought the runtime was perfect. Cinematography was beautiful. Effects were beautiful. The, the score was next level. Pro- probably the best score of any Nolan movie, in my opinion. Mm. Um, the utilization, like I said, of sound was brilliant. I've seen it three times. I will go see it again, hopefully one more time before it gets out of theaters. I loved it. So what did you think about it? Did you, oh, did you love it that much? Three. I didn't know you saw it three times. When was the, was the third time just normal digital or? Yeah. Yeah. It was just normal. It was, okay. I've seen it twice. I've seen it twice in normal digital. And then I saw it once on IMAX. Gotcha. Um, so I saw it in uh, 70 millimeter, not IMAX, unfortunately, because all that shit was sold out. Um, and we gotta, we gotta get it out of the IMAX theaters because Gran Turismo is coming out, which, you know, um, anyway, so I went and saw it in 70 millimeter, um, which, uh, I think was the first movie I've seen. Well, okay, never mind. Make it quick. Um, yeah. So spoiler free review. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a natural progression of natural evolution of nolan's maturation you know like a a natural step next in his career that he should have made after dunkirk you know uh transitioning to trying trying out basically non-action filmmaking um and i mostly liked it i did think there was a couple of flaws but the good definitely outweighs the bad and there are some moments that are just uh incredible some of the, I would say some of the best moments in Nolan's entire career, but I do think there's some storytelling issues that bogs down um, one of the hours. I don't even know which hour it is, but um, I mean, you know, these long movies, you always run into very few movies that are three hours avoid the dreaded middle act kind of slog. Like it's very difficult to, to avoid that. Um, I could see it being, I could, I could see depending on the scene, I could, I could agree with that. Yeah. I mean, without getting into spoilers, I'll, you know, I'll just say, you know, the Emily Blunt scenes and the Robert Downey Jr. scenes really didn't quite work for me. Um, I thought they were well done. Like they were like, there's nothing wrong with them necessarily, but they just, they paled in comparison to the, the main attraction, which is this man, this, this Oppenheimer and his, creation of this horrific the you know uh literally uh world changing species defining uh, or changing a, a device and you know I, as a result i really don't care if robert downey jr gets confirmed in the senate hearing or whatever you know what i mean like well I, to I, be I, fair i can't, can't not to get in the spoilers that that was that was the th- that was the thread that was the mutually assured destruction thread that had application to the actual like main part of the story sure like it it did it did matter sure it it did but i just um 
I don't know. I, I didn't find it that compelling. I, I, you know, which we can get into it. And if, when we talk about spoilers, we, we should probably just get into the spoilers now at this point. Yeah. So guys, we're getting into spoilers now. Obviously one of us loved it and one of us is wrong. So wait, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll see if I can timestamp it. I'll go the extra mile for you guys and let you know, check the show notes for a timestamp of when the spoiler discussion ends and you can hear us talk about our two South Korean features. So, okay. I thought, look, I'm not the biggest Robert Downey Jr. fan. If I'm being honest. I feel mm. like Marvel ruined him, you know, um, but I thought he was fantastic. I do think he's going to get nominated for an Oscar. But my beef with you isn't about him. You said Emily Blunt. I thought when she gets interviewed by Jason Clark, who fucking killed it. Um, every scene he was in, he brought his A game for this movie, which I'm a big Jason Clark fan anyway. Mm-hmm. I thought when she get, I thought when she went toe to toe with him, that was a brilliant scene that pretty much locks her in for uh, for a nominee. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, um, I, I definitely didn't feel that way. Um, I, I don't think Nolan writes women very well, and I don't mean that as like a like a woke criticism. I just think he just doesn't. Oh no, I I, I agree with you. That's completely fair. I, yeah, that's a fair criticism. And honestly, I'm not a huge Emily Blunt fan at this point. Um, and you ruined it. <laughs> I mean, she did fine. It's 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 you know handsomely acted, and she probably will get nominated, and good for her, and whatever. But I, it just didn't work that well for me. I didn't think it was bad, or like you know, it didn't it didn't really like uh, fall really flat. Like it was, I I got it, and it was like okay, this is a nice little moment. But it just I, what I think is this is a tale of two movies, right? There's one movie in there that didn't work for me nearly as well. And I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was bad, right? I thought it was fine, even good. But the other part was so fascinating that I I was in awe and I was I was just struck with absolute wonder at certain times. And then other times I was just like, What are we can we get back to him building the fucking bomb? You know, like it's just um I and uh, just to just to say specifically what I'm talking about, and this is fresh on the memory, and I've only seen it once, so maybe, um, you know, maybe maybe I'm misspeaking on some plot elements, but the the time specifically I'm talking about is the around 45 minutes or so uh, after the test, the Trinity test, right? So he tests the bomb, and there's the, there's the moment where he tests the bomb, and then or I guess I should say after, you know, the scene where they're cheering him on and all that. And, you know, he's looking like dead man walking and all that. After that kind of impressionistic scene, we get a lot of focus on Robert Downey Jr. and him talking to his aide or whoever that little guy is. And yeah. Cause that's pretty deep. That's pretty deep into hour two. Like you're, you're really like, I you're, think it, I, think, I think it might even be an hour three. Like, I think we're, yeah, you like it's 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 winding down at that point. You have about forty five minutes or so left. Yeah, so I think there there's like a I want to say about a half hour there, maybe you know maybe say like from you know three fifteen or, or two fifteen to two forty five, right? Um, that I was just like, what are we doing here? And I think he lands the plane because I think the point of it was to 
um, you know, the point of it was to be like, you did all this for your country and now they're turning their back on you, which I get that. I, I believe me, I understand it, but I just think after such an incredible first couple of hours, it really felt tacked on to me. And I, I you know, it, Nolan is, it, it, it's like, this is a problem with Nolan, I think. And I, I'm, this is coming from someone who likes all of his movies except for Tenet. I like him as a director. I think he's good. But I think this is a Nolan problem where he just gets too in the fucking weeds with these stories, you know? And like, at a certain point, I was like, just completely lost, right? I, like, it's, it's like, so-and-so gave the file to so-and-so, and it turns out you gave the file to him. And, and I was just like, wait, what? Like, what the fuck is going on, you know? And Nolan is doing his narrative gymnastics where he's jumping back and forth in time and whatever and whatever. And I just think there's too much narrative material there to really, like, that could have been its own movie. You know, that that could have been a different movie. That could have been good night and good luck but about the atomic bomb you know the atomic bomb or whatever right and that's not the movie he's making for the first i don't know two and a half hours you know you know or first two hours or whatever and i love that part so much that during that kind of denouement for lack of a better word i i just fell out of interest i guess you know and i was just like what Give me back to give me back to Oppenheimer fucking suffering for his sins, you know, which I guess he is, but just not in a compelling way. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think this made the movie bad. I just it's like my my temperature for the movie was at a 10 and then it, it went down to like a seven, you know, during during that kind of thing where I was like, OK, I, I get it, you know, but like I, the guy created the atomic bomb. Can we get out of the boardroom? You know, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just me, though. You know, th- that was well, just my take. Obviously, earlier when I said you were wrong, I was joking just for clarification because I think we, we do disagree on this because I do wholeheartedly disagree. Like, there's not even a really a way for me. I see your perspective, but there's not even a way for me to wrap my head because I thought it was I thought it was honestly brilliantly done. I thought that. So, so it um, just works straight on through for you. Yeah, I. I, I I honestly, when all that okay. shit went down, I was like, this this might be the best writing he's done outside of Interstellar. Um, really? Okay. Because I just thought, I thought it all worked. I thought okay. that having that thread, I thought the time jump worked for me. I really enjoyed the Rami Malek scene. I thought he killed it because like, because he was only in it for a couple of minutes. And I was like, why is he even in this? And then he gets this scene stealing scene you know uh, scene in the movie so when that happened and you start to see everything crumble um i just thought having that build up to showing like oh yeah mutually assured destruction kind of thing and 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 rdj thought he his character had the upper hand and then it just all crumbles down i really and i thought robert downey jr killed it i thought when he got caught and he was like either i'm about to get confirmed or this is about to be the biggest blunder of my career kind of thing. Uh, I loved it, man. I thought it was tense. I thought the, the, the scene, I thought it, it was very, um, I just thought it was very well done. I don't know what else to say about it for me. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, <clears throat> sorry. Um, you know, Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't. And I, he, he, he escapes for me for about 30 minutes there towards the end. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought Downey was great. I, I like Robert Downey Jr. and I thought he was fantastic. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I thought the, you know, maybe in retrospect now that I'm thinking about it, because there, like, okay, so there's a couple of thematic shifts, right? Because we get the implication that Downey did, or not Downey, um, that Oppenheimer did something very bad and to, to put it mildly and is now suffering for his sins. And then we get this long, you know, sequence that, that we've been discussing where he's kind of being punished and the, the country is turning their back on him in a way. And then it, the, th- it shifts a little bit. And when Rami Malek gives his big thing, it is presented like a, comeback you know what i mean like and and there's a scene where it's like i've never questioned whether j robert oppenheimer loves his country or whatever you know and all this and it's like wait what are are we really doing a redemption arc for the guy who built the fucking nuke you know what i mean and then of course it all comes crashing down whenever the guy that you mentioned gives his big speech of like questioning uh oppenheimer's moral position because the truth is he doesn't have one and I could, I can see it all looking back now, but in the moment of watching it, I was like, this is, this is thematic confusion. You know what I mean? Does it make sense? Looking back, I can see that it was, I can see the plan, but in the moment watching it, I didn't enjoy it. So maybe a second time I'll be able to appreciate that a little bit better. Cause it does make you think for a second, he's going to get a redemption narrative, you know? And he, boy, he doesn't after that dressing down from, uh, that guy who you mentioned, I can't remember his name. Uh, Rami Malik. Yeah. No, I mean, no, 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 not Rami Malik. Uh, like the, the like prosecutor guy, the, Oh uh, yeah. Jason Clark. Yeah. Jason yeah, yeah. Clark. Right. 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 When he gets yeah. the dressing down of like, you know, you have no, you know, what is your moral stance or whatever? And Oppenheimer is just like stuttering, you know, like he doesn't, you, you helped build the bomb. Well, I didn't help build the bomb. I helped to do the research that led up to the building of the bomb. And it's like, dude, Come on, man. You know, and I, that I think is kind of it seals the moral fate of, you know, this man is lost. He he isn't. He never had a moral compass, and he definitely doesn't now. You know. Well, um, I mean, you know, not that this is this might be like a, a outside the realms of the, of the movie, but I love history, and I thoroughly enjoyed learning about all this. I I've always loved the idea that. They, because I, I just, I, I like, I think quantum physics is fascinating. I think physics in general is fascinating. I've always loved the idea they were concerned about igniting the atmosphere. I love the fact that in real life, that one doctor, uh, not Teller, but the other doctor, was actually, he really was taking bets, but except in, in real life, he got more specific. In real life, he said, 10 bucks, it only destroys New Mexico, 20 bucks, it destroys the world. <laughs> Uh, which is hilarious because Dude, all of these put that in the movie. That's hilarious. That's a hilarious line. Well, I just, I, I love the idea. He put it in the movie anyway. And then that led this to me. See, I'm going to nitpick. I kind of got off track with what I was saying, but I'll get back to it. I'm going to nitpick. One thing that annoys me is Matt Damon finding out the general character who put this all together. Uh, the general, I should say the general, that is a character that put it all together. Um, how did you not know until that very moment that there was a small risk associated 
with it blowing up the world. So I wonder if in real life, if he was really that ill-informed, because it's like, so you're telling me hours before you're going to, you're going to, you know, blow this thing up. You're going to detonate. You were just now finding out that there's a chance it could blow up the world. That's, that's just that's so got, weird to me. That's got to be a little movie magic. I mean, I, I mean, I haven't yeah. read the book, but it has to be. There's no way that guy didn't fucking know that shit until 20 seconds before they dropped the bomb. And like his reaction is just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, what, what I was going to say though, is like, like I said, I, I like history. I think World War II is probably the most, in terms of historical wars, the most popular war to read about, you know, just because of how fascinating it is and how everything happened, which I love the idea that, a, that some historians don't even break the wars up because they just think it never ended because Germany really never dropped his beef, you know? So mm. I love the idea that was that's a whole different thing. I just love these ideas that are associated with this in history. So the the concept of Oppenheimer being viewed as a bad guy has never really been something that appealed to me because I don't view Oppenheimer as a bad guy. So I think the movie handled it as best as it could in terms of like you've already pointed out one thing. The man had no real ethics. He is a physicist. It is a science experiment that happened to have the highest terms of any gamble you could like that the biggest risk of any gamble you could take in the history of humanity. But at the end of the day, he was chasing glory and he was chasing something that's also wrapped into glory, which is like, I, I, I want to be that physicist. I want to be like the father of the atomic bomb is like one of the coolest nicknames you could dub on a person in history. And at the time he was a hero for many other reasons. Like, let's ignore the the ridiculous ethics of dropping an atomic bomb on a nation that's pretty much already defeated. Let's throw all that out and just look at what the movie was about. Because it wasn't about that. It was about Oppenheimer, the character. And I thought that that him and Killian Murphy did such a great job of conveying the message of, I don't think the movie condemned him as a bad guy, but it also didn't make him a good guy. Like, you know what I mean? I, I couldn't disagree more, actually. I, I think the movie very much condemns him. Well, clearly Nolan condemns the idea of like, I, I saw some things where people were like, oh, this is pro nuclear bomb. It's like, no, it's not. Like if you, if you think that you didn't watch the movie, but yeah. I don't, I think he's showing that Oppenheimer was a human being. I don't think I didn't get full condemnation, but what well, I was I worried I about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say what I was worried about is getting something that implies he's a hero, which we did not get most assuredly. Right, right. No, I guess I guess I should clarify. I mean, it's 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 more complicated than that, right? It's not just he was a bad guy, end of story. Um, or or uh, it, it's not a it's not a. Well, that was bad. Everybody, everybody agree that was bad. All right, cool. Let's move on. You know, it's obviously more complicated than that. He's obviously a three dimensional character, and you know, but but to me, he reminded me of Robert De Niro in The Irishman. I, I thought about The Irishman a lot while I was watching the movie. Because he reminded me of De Niro's character in the sense that he just kind of bumbled along. You know what I mean? Like, now the difference is he's kind of bumbling along. And I'm I'm not saying this is really how it happened, because I don't know. I haven't read American Prometheus. I don't know. But Nolan portrays him as kind of a guy who just is bumbling along, meeting people, and... Of course, he's brilliant, but that's really it. You know what I mean? Like he just 
he just kind of stumbles from one thing to another. It's like, oh, this Caltech job. Okay, yeah, sure, I'll do this. And yeah, and then I'll go to Göttingen or whatever these fucking European cities and go to Denmark or whatever, you know, and, and like he's not shown as a real true like active character striving for something great he almost kind of stumbles on this thing as just like a historical contingency and he has no real ethics or no real direction and i think the robert downey quote where robert downey jr says he didn't create the bomb i forget what the exact quote is but he says like he created the bomb because he wanted to be the most important person in human history and I think it's that, but I also think that's half true. I think he just kind of stumbled into it. He just happened to be the fucking guy. And he was a womanizer and, you know, and he was, uh, had unimaginable hubris and he was, he had blinders on, you know, uh, dedicated to, you know. So when I say he's a bad guy, I mean it in a more complicated way than that. But I, I think Nolan is very clear in showing this is a guy with this is a guy with some serious flaws, you know, um, who which I, I guess we can we can segue into that. But I, I don't know. You got anything in response to that uh, or you want to segue into because I'd like to talk about kind of the whole the whole atomic bomb nature of it all, because there's a really there's a story of the 20th century here. Uh, I don't know. You got anything before we get into that? I mean, not really. I agree. I, I think De Niro from The Irishman's a good one. I could also throw like Tony Soprano in there. The idea of this deeply flawed. Right. I, I don't even, I, I guess by definition, he would be an anti-hero. But I, I even hate to call him that because in my opinion, he he's not. But I like, you know, we have to use terms that we're given. Um, yeah, he's almost like a. He's almost like a passive protagonist in a way, which is a weird thing to say about the guy who invented the fucking atom bomb. But like, you know, in the movie, he's almost portrayed that way as just kind of a. uh, Yeah, just a historical contingency. Um, Well, it's just really interesting when you look at the parallels between Strauss and him, especially when Strauss was was so adamant that Oppenheimer was this egotistical, like you already said, so so possessed so much hubris. Right. But it's like you are just as prideful as he was, as he is like, so, so it's really like, seriously, the movie referenced, and I don't think it was an accident. The movie referenced the court scene where he kind of, where, where Oppenheimer embarrassed Strauss with the isotopes. They reference it like half a dozen times. And I'm sorry. The reason we had to go back to that. Well, so many times is because there was literally like two moments or three moments where, he kind of soured himself to you. Like we have the, we have the, the Einstein moment, we have the isotope moment and we have just the over, like the entire concept of, of being that way with the job, which is the most prestigious job in the country, whatever. So it's like, you're basing your entire case of destroying another man on that. That's I, that's why I could not like, I love the Robert Downey Jr. Moment at the end, not the end, but you know, the one we already discussed because of the parallel, the parallels are almost endless when it comes to looking at these two characters. And that's why the RDJ moment works for me so much. I, I will say this. I think, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, when he says that quote, he's projecting obviously, because this is a guy who's Robert Downey Jr. Is almost an active protagonist in this movie, or I guess an active antagonist. Um, 
uh, in the fact that he's always striving, you know, he's always got machinations, you know, whereas Oppenheimer seems to just be wandering into random rooms and talking to people, you know, like it's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is doing business, you know, and, and, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. That, that quote of like Robert uh, Oppenheimer, uh, you know, invented the bomb because he wanted to be the guy that invented the bomb or the most important person in history or whatever. I think that is almost like a rosebud style thing, you know, talking about another movie about a, a great, you know, destructive man, you know, Charles Foster Kane, right? Like, I think it's a rosebud moment where it, it does rose. We learn what rosebud is at the end of citizen Kane. It's on the sled. And he was thinking about his childhood when he is dying, but, you take a step back and you go, wait, does that really explain it all? And, and the answer is no, it doesn't. You know, Orson Welles gives you the key to the puzzle, you know, but puzzles don't have keyholes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like there's no like, oh, does Rosebud, oh, does Rosebud solve the puzzle of this man's life? No, of course it doesn't. That's not how fucking life works, you know? And I think I think that is kind of what that Downey Jr. moment was. It was like he wanted to be the most important person in the world. It's like, oh, well, does that explain why he built the atom bomb? Well, no. And frankly, nothing really can. You know, nothing really can explain human behavior. A, a movie can't, even if it's three hours long. You know, and a book can't. Probably, I don't know. I haven't read the book, but I don't know. I can I get into what I really loved about the movie? Because honestly, that's a fun oh, yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 okay. So, okay. So <laughs> I, I was dude, the very beginning when he is a young man, uh, traveling around Europe and, and learning all the great things about physics, which whatever, I don't even know what they are. I don't understand it. But the thing that I love is it cuts to him staring at Picasso paintings and to having these visions of the universe uh, which by those visions of the universe get, you know, rarer and rarer as the movie goes on. And he's listening to music and he's reading Sanskrit and he's, you know, doing all these very highly intellectual activities. And I thought this was so important. And I, I honestly think the first half of Oppenheimer, the first two thirds might be the best work of Nolan's career, because this is such a profound thing, which is, this man is an intellectual operating at the height of his powers, right? He's operating at the height of his powers. And we have this thing called the enlightenment, right? That happened at the beginning of, you know, at the end of the dark ages, right? We've got the dark ages and the enlightenment. We, the Renaissance and perspective painting and the scientific method and all of these great things, right? All these revolutions, you know, and they all culminate in the early 20th century, right? They're, they're all leading up to, then we got Picasso, and I think he even says something like, you know, a revolution's happening or whatever, you know? Like, uh, we have all, the culmination of enlightenment thinking, right? Uh, democracy and, you know, parliamentary democracy, and all, all these things, right, that we base our value system on, right? And after World War II, that, that big kind of beautiful enlightenment system gets completely destroyed. Like a, it's, it's, it's a value system. It's a system of values and priorities and 
you know, and, and I, well, that's it, I guess. But like, it's completely destroyed because how can a country like Germany, right? High literacy rate, highly educated population, you know, beautiful architecture, beautiful art, you know, scientific minds, right? They were technologically and scientifically sophisticated. And yet they were capable of massacring 6 million Jews, right? That, what that means is that we got something wrong. That enlightenment thinking doesn't solve our problems, right? That something is wrong with it from the beginning. Well, maybe not from the beginning, but something is wrong here. And then we got two atom bombs that got dropped. Atom bombs that were only capable because of the scientific method, because of technology, right? Because of this great man Oppenheimer, this polymath who was studying Sanskrit and looking at Picasso paintings and this, this urbane, sophisticated, brilliant man. And all of them were, all of these physicists were, right? They're highly educated and they created a device that's capable of ending all the life on the planet. A, 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 an evil device, right? And how is this possible? How did the enlightenment lead to this? Right now, if you talk to a critical race theorist, they will say, well, it's because white supremacy is baked into the Enlightenment. Right. Well, that's one solution. A feminist will say, well, it's because women weren't involved in Enlightenment thinking. That's why. Right. The communists will say, well, it's because the modes of production were in the hands of the bourgeoisie and not the working class. OK, well, that's one option. Right. So we got all these different options that have sprung up post World War Two. Right that have tried to explain what the fuck went wrong with the enlightenment. And we haven't landed on it. Okay. I don't have an answer. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, nobody's got an answer because it's the most complicated and vexing question in human history. How did this, how did the enlightenment lead to Nazism and fascism? We haven't cracked that fucking nut. We haven't cracked it. And it, it, it set the, it paved the pathway for the rest of the 20th century. And the first two thirds of this movie are literally an explication of that idea. It is an, a cinematic explication of the fact that our brightest and most brilliant minds came up with man-made horrors beyond anyone's imagination. And that I think is one of the most profound, and there's no easy answers. No one doesn't even begin to answer this question. I don't even think he might understand. I mean, he, might, he might not even understand the question, right? I, I, honestly, I don't know. But that shit is portrayed in the first two first two hours of this movie, and it ends with no. So, so I guess that's why the that half hour, or whatever, seemed like such a come down because I thought the first two hours were so brilliant and so sublime and so incredible because it it transitions this brilliant physicist going around the halls of Europe and his daydreams, he's daydreaming of space. And I mean, he's, he's occupying these cosmic realms and it ends when he's looking through that fucking hole and he's looking at the atom bomb going off. And what does he see? I, I, I don't know what I saw. And I think what the camera sees, what the image is hell, utter and absolute hell, the fire, the smoke, We've created something that is so, so just inherently evil and destructive and bad that it could end our species, right? And how did that come out of enlightenment thinking again? I don't know. I don't have the answer. The movie doesn't have the answer, but it did. And I, I that 
I love that so much that by the time we get to the by the time we get to the 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 Senate, I'm I'm already on the fucking moon, man. And 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 the Senate trial of Robert Downey Jr. is bringing me back down to earth. You know what I'm saying? So I, I wanted to just get that out there because I I very much admire this movie and what Nolan did and thought it was very ambitious. And I'm kind of regretting that we we went with the negative stuff first simply because that wasn't my overall impression of the movie. My overall impression of the movie was this is a story of the 20th century and what went wrong and the defining moment of, I don't know, the the past 2000 years, probably, you know? Um. Anyways, I, I know I've been well, blabbering on. I'll be honest with you, and I'm not being funny when I say this. I'm being real. I don't have much to add to that because I didn't view it like that at all. But it's because perhaps I'm more cynical. I don't know. But humanity, looking at the Holocaust, looking at the Trail of Tears, looking at what Stalin did, looking at the Spanish Inquisition, um, looking at the countless genocides, we've been killing millions of people under the guise of religious reasons or we just want just war colonialism blah 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 we've been doing that for so long that i didn't get the idea about it getting that out of enlightenment simply because i've in terms of what we've discovered and the renaissance and art and all that clearly we were enlightened on some level, but we've always been halfway in the shadows as a species. So maybe that's more born out of cynicism. That's why I didn't really, I didn't get any of that, what you just said. So I I obviously know what you're saying, but I didn't get that from it. If that makes sense. I would say this, I would, I would say this. Maybe that's your theory that, that this is kind of ingrained in, you know, humanity or whatever. But I do think it's only one possible solution to, to, to how, uh, you know, how these mid, these horrors of mid century horrors of the middle of the 20th century, how they were able to happen. Right. Yeah. I, I do think, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't think it's just a theory, but I, I think it's one possible competing theory. And I think I think we really don't have an answer. I don't think anybody solved that nut yet. I mean, maybe, you know, it, it, are humans biologically determined to be evil? I mean, and to kill? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's one. Maybe that's that's oh. maybe. Sorry, go ahead. No, you, no, you can go ahead. I would. I was. Yeah, I'll say. You can go ahead and finish that thought. I was just going to say, like, maybe humans are biologically predetermined to kill, but the promise of the Enlightenment that we, was that we could overcome that, right? And that promise did not get fulfilled, right? And so, I don't know. Th- this is all kind of outside the movie, but I think it's there. I-, I think it's no mistake that that this dreamy young man is is you know one of the most brilliant minds that the human race has ever produced. It's no mistake that he's going around Europe, that he's reading Sanskrit, that he's you know uh, reading Freud, and he even mentions that he goes you know Freud and. Uh, I forget who else he says. Uh, he may, he name checks a couple other people, and he's like, "The revolution is here," you know. Like he's, it's a whole different mindset than we would have after this, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. That that to me was well, the most compelling thing. 
because it 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 was a, it's an open ended question. How did this guy? How did this guy? How did this hugely educated guy? Because because your theory doesn't answer that question either. And I'm not saying you. Well, that, bad, that's you what I was going to say. Just just real yeah. quick. I'm I, what I was saying wasn't. I'm sorry if I if I did not articulate appropriately. I wasn't saying my theory solves your question, right? Because uh, I because I don't think that's a solution. What I what I meant what, with what I said was I didn't view the atomic bomb as a birth of something so evil. How did it get us here out of like from enlightenment? Like I'm just saying, oh. the atomic bomb was just another blip on the radar. Like clearly, it's a big blip. But when we look at history and go back to what the cons were doing in China. And we go back to all the shit that has, has been done all the th- hundreds of thousands of people who died in the civil war. Like right now at this point in history that we know of, if you want to look at body count, there's about 200,000 people, give or take that were affected by the atro- atrocious na- thing of dropping a bomb. And we haven't used it since clearly the threat is there. But that's all I was saying. I did not. I did not mean to imply that. That like, oh, that. Oh, no, I have a simple solution to this theory. I was just saying. I, I didn't you. view it like that. I got you. And I. I. I, I mean, I, I guess I would say in response to that, to me, the atom bomb. Just, uh, just, and this is just my opinion. I think the atom bomb was a seismic event, not or was a a, a huge seismic event alongside, um, you know, the Holocaust and all that. Uh, simply because of its, well, because of what I mentioned before, because the, the humanity's greatest minds got together and figured out uh, the most destructive thing that we've ever created. You know what I mean? It's not like, like Leonardo da Vinci designed, uh, you know, different types of armor for the king of France towards the end of his life, right? It's a little bit different than that, right? This is this is society's most brilliant minds. Uh, creating a death machine that can end all life on the planet. And I, you're right. The body count isn't there because again, it is just two mid-sized cities in Japan, but the potential's there. I mean, the nuclear well, winter that, could I, absolutely still happen. I mean, I think what you just said is a, is a perfect segue into my final thought on the movie, which is it's very clear that when this was being made, because it started in the pandemic, right? So when this was being made, AI wasn't where it is now. So I think the parallels being drawn to where it's like, okay, the end of it, the end is implying before a, before the last few months of AI really spiking. Obviously, the the Ukraine Russia thing was a serious problem in terms of nuclear threat. So the movie obviously deals with that. If AI hadn't happened the way it has, we would look at that and be like, oh fuck, like. So while I obviously I do agree the threat is still there, that's not what I'm saying. The interesting thing to me is we now have evolved the threat because yes, right now yeah. most, not historians, but most men of science are saying AI poses a bigger threat than a nuclear holocaust at this point in history. Well, I think, I, no, 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 I, I, you're dead on. You're dead on here because... And that that is something I, I guess I should have mentioned before too. the the movie The movie is not about necessarily even nuclear power. The movie and, and the whole Prometheus thing. What did Prometheus do? He gave fire to mankind. He didn't, you know, he didn't do anything other than that. So so this this is 
this is the beginning. You know, the 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 atom bomb was the beginning of the evil. You know what I mean? And I know, I I know Genghis Khan. I know all that shit. I know we've been killing each other for thousands of years, but not on this scale, right? Not on this scale and with this ability. Well, just the sheer threat looming over it. Clearly, I didn't mean to belittle the the inception of the nuclear bomb, but the threat, like the threat, is there. Like, yeah, it only was it only was those two mid-sized cities in Japan then, but obviously the threat is there. So, yeah, I agree. Well, and it's not just. I'll say this too: it's not just. It's the nuclear threat, but it's also the fact that uh, the most powerful country in the world suddenly had nukes, and then the other powerful country had nukes, and then you know you know what I'm saying. Like then we decided that you know, and this is this is a big leftist thing: the Fourth Reich. You know, the American Empire that began at the end of World War II is essentially the Fourth Reich. You know, is is a is yeah. a thing that that people say and. Like that's another thing. The American Empire began when World War II ended, and you saw, and like so, the atom bomb is obviously bad in of itself, and the threat and all that. But it also represents the beginning of of our empire, and we have. I mean, we've done some heinous, heinous shit. I mean, Vietnam and Korea, just two minor examples. You know what I mean? Like we we have let our corporations and our way of life and our pop culture. We we have forced it on the fucking globe you know like so and and that and that is not even to mention the exponential increase in like china being an industrial power and stuff why do you think china is an industrial power because nixon went to china nixon you know we there's who's who's buying china's stuff right it's us and so like I, okay i'm getting all way far afield but what i'm saying is yeah let's that, let's calm over there calm it down over there commie boy but what I'm saying is the, the atom bomb is the beginning of – it is a man-made horror beyond all comprehension, just like the meme. But it is the beginning. It is the, the, the origin point of multiple man-made horrors beyond comprehension, including the acceleration of climate change, right? If, if we don't win World War II, this, climate change certainly is not as bad. Because we don't, we don't, we don't become the consuming nation that we that we have been for the past seventy years or so, right? Uh, the AI thing, you know, I guess that's, that that was my response to the whole AI thing that you were talking about is that the atom bomb was the beginning of the end, right? And and that I think is what is so powerful. And and not only was it the beginning of the end, but it wasn't a bunch of mustache twirling villains. It wasn't the Nazis who the Nazis never dropped an atom bomb. They never built an atom bomb, right? Like it wasn't them. It was the smartest, most erudite, brilliant people on the planet who were fancy professors and drinking wine and reading Shakespeare and very well educated. It was those motherfuckers who created the beginning of the end of probably life on planet earth. And that is a problem that we probably won't solve in the rest of for the rest of humanity however long we last you know and that the movie dramatizes that really well over the first two hours and i i love that and so like i was on such a high that i i just came down a little bit with the downey jr stuff but i don't know that's that that's my perspective that's what i came away from the movie i'm sure i'll watch it again and the only thing i'll come away with is how great Florence Pugh's tits are, you know? Uh, so who knows? Hey, pal, let's keep it classy, okay? 
Um, <laughs> I'm saying I could come I, away with that. I, I didn't say I did. I'll say this, like, just thankful we got to watch it. Glad it exists. I, I, I uh, you know, I figured I wasn't sure how much we disagree, but not that much. I mean, it is what it is. It's a three hour movie. There's going to be a lot of different takes. I just want to say this one thing before we move on. One of my favorite lines of the movie was improv by James Remar. James Remar was, you know, he's Dexter's dad. Like he's a well-known actor. He's been around a while. Hmm. He was the guy helping pick potential targets for the bomb. And he said, Kyoto for its religious, you know, uh, what it means to the, to the people of Japan. And he's like, also my wife and I honeymoon there. He learned that while researching that character and improv that line. And like, Nolan said it was like a mic drop moment. Dude. The fact that that's improv is insane. Yeah. Because that's one of the most powerful moments in the entire movie. Oh, absolutely. The fact that the fact that that some guy in a room in Washington just went somewhere on his honeymoon. And so, yeah, those people get to live. uh, That is horrifying. I mean, really like that's. Oh, man. Um, okay. So yeah, we both liked it. Obviously, you know, great. There's a lot of discussion there, but, uh, we got two other movies to get to. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, no, no. I've gone long, long enough about Oppenheimer. Suffice it to say, Nolan is growing as a filmmaker, you know, branching out beyond action filmmaking. And he's playing in some, he's playing in some very deep waters. And honestly, I'm, you know, I'm 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 impressed, you know, like, again, some of the story didn't work for me. But in general, this movie more than works. I mean, it, it's it's it, you're, you're right. It's awesome. We get to see this shit. And I'm, I, I, I was so excited. I got to see it in 70 millimeter film. I, that's, you know, there's a one other movie I've gotten to see like that. And that's it's fucking dope that that even exists. So, yeah, that's my final thought. Yeah, I wish I had gotten to watch it on that as well. Um Okay, so yeah, guys, well, these, you watched on the world's tallest IMAX, so that is true. That is true. So these two movies, I didn't know the mileage we were going to get. They're they're not the same director. It's just two movies that have been on my list for a while. They're both South Korean, as I said last week. I'm a big fan of South Korean cinema. Outside of Bong Joon Ho, there is a ton of amazing shit coming out of South Korea, especially over the last five six years. But these two movies, A Bittersweet Life from Ji Woon Kim and The Gangster, The Cop, and The Devil from Wan Tae Lee, which is a little bit of a change of podcast scenery for us because this movie is a straight-up fucking action movie. Like, mm, right. it is just a really fun... It be, like Apparently, Stallone liked this movie so much, he immediately bought the rights to do an American remake to it. Oh, so sure. I'm down for that. It probably won't be as good, but I'm down. Anyway, A Bittersweet Life, directed by Gene Woon Kim. Like I said, I love that guy. Like the whole reason I wanted to watch this movie to begin with is because uh, it came out in 2005, is because this guy directed two movies that I fucking loved. And I almost just did a director episode on him, but I didn't want to put you through these two movies or, or one of these two because I wanted to watch uh, A Bittersweet Life. But I saw The Devil and A Tale of Two Sisters are both pretty fucked up. So, <laughs> like, I, I, saw seen, I, seen, I saw The is Devil is disturbing. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you like it? 
Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I remember when it came yeah, out, yeah. I watched it. Yeah, and loved it. And A Tale of Two Sisters is such a great Asian horror movie. It's like disturbing, but it's great. Um, I haven't seen that one, and frankly, I didn't know I didn't know that was the same director as I saw The Devil when we watched this one. Um, yeah, man, he is all over the place because you know his 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 movie that he debuted in the U.S. Uh, was a movie that everyone has forgotten about, including me. Uh, in terms of you should forget about it, The Last Stand with Arnold and Johnny Knoxville. Oh, so, he directed that. Yeah, talk about a weird swing and a miss for 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 a, a American debut. Uh, wow, man, I'm sure. I, I mean, I'm sure he came over here, and they were. I'm sure the the leash was tight on that one. You know. Oh yeah. So I don't know how much mileage we're gonna get, but let's let's just let's just touch on both of them, and uh, we won't run too long, guys. But we really wanted to talk about Oppenheimer. Um, so a bittersweet life. Only available on YouTube, not the best copy. So I'm glad we were able to watch it in general. So if you want to watch it, it's free. But you know, fair warning, it's not the best best copy. Um, essentially, it's it's a pretty cliched story that I thought he handled great. Like I love this movie. I, I in terms of this was more than an action movie. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, essentially, things go wrong for like a, a high ranking gangster's number two guy, like the guy who like gets shit done. He's your enforcer. He's he is the guy you go to. He gets told to watch his his boss's lover, his his mistress. And hey, if she's seeing somebody, uh, just kill them both, you know, <laughs> and that's his mission. But he finds out she's seeing somebody. He doesn't kill them both. He's just like, you get the fuck out of here. Don't ever don't ever be here again. Like, we can't do this anymore. Uh, you can't do this anymore. He let him live. And then the boss puts a hit out on him and pretty brutal, pretty brutal scenes after that. And, um, but that's not the interesting thing about this movie, but we'll get to that. What did you think about this movie? Did you like, you know, I, I let's, let's just like, obviously elephant in the room, shitty copy, but what did you like this movie? Like, did you enjoy it or, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I had no complaints about this movie. I really liked it. And, you know, I won't, I won't harp on this too much, but, you know, a lot of the attraction for for these types of movies for me, and I, I, this was definitely true about the second one that we're going to talk about. A lot of the attraction for me is honestly just seeing, you know, we talked about this a little bit, I think, in, in an episode recently where like a big part of the appeal of watching a lot of like current foreign movies or, you know, movies, foreign movies from the past 20 years or so is just getting to see what other parts of the world look like, you know, like if a guy's driving around in his car, like I, like I love that, you know, cause it's like, Oh, what's that's what a street looks like in Hong Kong or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just an inherent pleasure of, of the cinema, I think. Um, and also there are some pretty gnarly action scenes in the movie. And again, like I said, I won't harp on it, but that, that, that in particular is why the quality was such, was such a kind of obstacle for me. Cause I was like, boy, I really wish I could see, the streetscape there, like and what that shop looks like or whatever. And it's kind of just a digital blur, you know, and the action scenes are definitely not helped by um, the quality. So I think the quality maybe affected me more than it would on, you know, just a drama where people are walking in and out of rooms or whatever. Um, so I think that affected my enjoyment of the movie. 
that being said, I have no complaints about the movie itself or the structure of it. My only negative feeling was like, oh, I wish I could have saw that action scene a little bit better, you know, like, um, but no, I really enjoyed it. I liked, I liked how it was kind of like a slow burn. Um, actually really kind of a slow burn, honestly, probably the first 45 minutes or so are pretty, um, just him kind of, you know, um, driving around following this woman. Um, and, um, yeah, no, I loved how, <laughs> I loved how, I mean, this is just random scenes, but I loved, uh, like when they, they, they bury him alive and then he pops out of the ground and it's like, they're standing there waiting for him. Cause you think oh, that's going to yeah. be like his big triumphal moment, you know? And like, just like little moments like that. I loved, I thought the action was great. Um, there's some great humor, like the, uh, the, the arms dealers, you know, um, I thought the plot got a little, a little, little too convoluted for me for a second, but the, everything sorted its way out, and the ending was really, really good. The ending, I won't, I won't say the ending here, but um, yeah. Well, let's. Specific- I, I do want to talk about the ending, but let's let's break a few things down real quick, and then okay. uh, and then we can talk about the ending because I know it's a big spoiler, but I think it's a big part of it. So, so they, like you said, they bury him alive. So they break his hand with a with a plumber's wrench. And then they bury him alive and he digs himself out and then they, they're going to kill him and then he escapes. On, since you brought up that scene, I will say one of my favorite like little moments in the movie is when that car... So you see these guys digging another hole because he, they, he, they just told our lead character that this time they're going to bury him six feet in. Like, it's fucking over. Like, you know, you, you fucked up. So as they're digging... The camera's behind them. The car drives out because it's clear he goes through the fucking wall. He he spins out of there. The guy looks up, drops his shovel, and says, stop digging. We're so fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. I don't know why that was so funny to me, but I laughed so much at that scene. Um, yeah, because it was just tell, like Because it was like, from their perspective, they didn't know who was driving the car or even what happened. You know what I mean? But all I know is if somebody drove that car out of there and busted through and people are shooting after it, we're absolutely fucked. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what just happened in there, but whatever it was, we are absolutely fucked. And that, that was, that was really funny. And the scene when he goes to get guns, I loved. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like, this guy's clearly a fan of Tarantino or Tony Scott, because the way this film is shot, the way this scene is shot, they're taking the gun apart and he's like, Hey, we're waiting on your boss to call back. Well, I'll show you how to put it back together. And I'm watching the movie and I'm like, Oh yeah. shit. Are they going to have a race to get the gun back together? Like to shoot each other. And that's exactly what they did. And it was fucking hilarious and awesome. Yeah, no, that was great. That was, uh, that reminded me of the previous movie we watched where the guy's like trying to, he's trying to reload his gun to, to shoot the guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. What movie was that? I don't know. It just happened in, in an episode recently, but um, but you know, that was great. Cause I, I, I remember thinking like I was watching it and I was like, what, why is this so like, where's this going? Cause like the scene is handled, like you said, like, a, like the, the, like a minor version of like the basement scene in glorious bastards, you know, like it's, it's, it's really drawn out and kind of like, uh, kind of like long. And just like, I, I remember thinking like, what, what is, what is this? Why is this scene so long? And then when that happens, it's like, a it's almost like a, an exclamation point or something at the end of that scene. It's just, it's so good. It's such a good scene. So 
just real quick, this this is a spoiler on the ending. So guys, if you haven't seen it, skip a few minutes. But he dies at the end, and there is a lot of thought out there that it was all a dream. Like that. Yeah. That is not only is it a theory. I know that I bring that up a lot, but this is like something that the movie kind of leads you to believe is a hundred percent true. It's almost not even up. It's not even. It's like not even that ambiguous. So I saw a lot of people were saying, yeah, a lot of people, I disagree. And then you find out that Gene Woon Kim on the DVD commentary in South Korea said, absolutely not. He's like the whole purpose of the scene was a bittersweet life. He imagined how it could have been as he's dying. And I thought that works much better. I don't, I don't like the idea of all that happening while he's like watching her play the cello. Oh, so he was saying it wasn't a dream. Uh, everything yeah. wasn't a dream. Okay. Yeah, okay. he he was saying all that was was him seeing the life he could have led. Like he right. could have picked that, but he didn't. Right. Um, which I think well, works. And also, I forgot to praise the score. The score is fucking fantastic. Just mm-hmm. absolutely, I love it. It was so perfect to fit the tone of this slow burn with random burst of like action and violence type of uh, type of movie. I thought it worked really well. Also, I think his performance, the main character's performance was um, fantastic because, I mean, really the the emotional um, or I, I don't even know if it's emotional. It's kind of everything. It's it's a, the gut punch um, at the end of the movie involves him smiling twice. And that that's a that's a big burden to put on an actor. You know what I mean? Especially oh, yeah. when he doesn't yeah. smile throughout the whole fucking movie. And that it's it's a shocking and yet really kind of perfect end to the movie both of the times and it's uh it's really effective and that's a big that's a big ask for an actor and he he pulls it off really really well uh so i mean yeah i you know outside the only negative is that the copy but outside of that i thought this movie's great watch it if if the only way you can watch it is on youtube watch it because he he's great the lead guy was great i mean the it's I, I just thought it was fantastic. I, it was definitely one I was glad I picked because I wasn't sure about either of these going into it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I loved it. I mean, again, you know, the quality, whatever, whatever. But I, uh, yeah, no, I, I have nothing negative to say about it. I enjoyed it. The next one, there's not much mileage on, which is why it works talking about Oppenheimer this episode, because the next one is a straight up just yeah. crazy action movie that was really more dependent on like these these great lead actors, um, one of which I have a relatively long viewing history of because I think he's great. But this was a 2019 movie, and it's very simple. A crime boss teams up with a cop to track down a serial killer. Like, uh, it's so simple, but it works. And I love how we never really get the moment, which not to get too ahead, but we never really get the moment where like, hey, this guy... This gangster is not bad. Him and this cop are going to kind of be friends. It's like, nope, they hate each other. And the only reason the ending happens the way it does is because of the, of what he's getting in return. It had nothing to do with being like, Oh, I'll do this guy a favor because we're kind of friends now. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 You think it's going to be like a buddy, uh, not a comedy, I guess, but like, you think it's going to be like a buddy movie, you know? And then, yeah, it's like, no, 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 these guys fucking hate each other, you know? Um, um, that the lead gangster is Ma Dang Siok, I believe is how you say his name. And that guy 
is fucking awesome. I will watch him in anything. A movie that I have talked about on here a few times now is Train to Busan. And that mm, is the first right. movie I saw him in. And then I watched a ton of movies he was in. That dude has so much attitude and charisma. He was born to be on the screen. Screen presence. I mean, it's, it's, it's oozing. I mean, especially... I mean, the, the, the cop is fine. The other protagonist is he's fine. Well, he's yeah, almost the, trying too hard. And mm, then you, yeah. you pair him with this guy who doesn't have to try at all. Yeah. No, it's it's well, well, I guess the other guy does a good job of kind of portraying a striving, you know, uh, striving young police officer. But no, the gangster is, dude, I mean, he, he dude, he's he's got the goods, man. He, he's able to convey, you know, kind of all of all of these different emotions and look tough. And 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 yeah, he, he's he's really good. We need to bring him. We need to bring him over, put him in some put him in some American stuff because he's. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's fantastic. Like, I, there's a really good scene. It's just a little tiny line, but like, <laughs> when he's getting attacked by the serial killer, the very first of the movie, there's this great line where he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know? Or like, oh yeah, dude, I, I pointed that line out too when I was watching it with my wife. I, I, yeah, he's like, "No, he gets stabbed, and then they're fighting back and forth, and then he realizes what's going on, and he's like, I think at that moment he realizes that he doesn't recognize him." So it's like, this isn't a gang hit. Uh, This is something else. So he just looks at him while he's pulling a knife out of him. And he's like, what the hell? (laughs) That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, what the hell? Like, (laughs) Just such a a fucking baller move when you get stabbed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was such Um, a funny line, man, because he he is. He's getting attacked. It's like, ah, what the hell? What are you? Stop. Like. I, I always appreciate when a guy can be on screen and be so cool that he makes smoking cool again. Like every oh, dude, time this guy yeah. smoked a cigarette, I was like, I want to smoke a cigarette. Dude, he's lighting uh, up some good ones too, man. There's one where he's he's got an uh, he's uh, holding an umbrella in the rain and he's about to get in the oh, car. Yeah. He yeah. lights the he lights that sucker up and he's just like puffing on it and he's like I think it's right before he gets attacked by the serial killer and he's just like I don't know what he tells his crew, but he's like, follow me later or whatever. And then just like puts it out and jumps in the car. And it's like, dude, this is so sick, man. Like he's so And then cool. he has another scene later smoking in the rain when he gives the little girl his umbrella. And the only thing he can think to say to her is like, study hard. Like, <laughs> and then, and then the cop walks up and he's like, Hey, don't take stuff from strangers. He's a gangster. And she's like, well, you look more like a gangster than he does. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's great. I, two, I will two say, of my, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you can go ahead. Now you can go ahead. I was just going to say, I will say the plot got a little too labyrinthine for me. Maybe I'm just, maybe my brain is like shutting. No, down. I agree with you. This movie, I hate to be that guy because I try to avoid it. This movie was probably about 15 minutes too long. Well, it's just like, dude, what, I mean, I don't know, man. It's like these guys, some of these, I guess I'm including Nolan in here too, but like some of these guys could take a, take a clue from like Walter Hill or something like a movie does not need like that many subplots and twists and turns. You know what I mean? That, that shit is for like novels and stuff, man. It's like th- these plots do not need to be this complex, man. Just give a character something he needs to do and just put him through a bunch of situations. Like, you know, we don't need, I don't know, they're, they're, which it sounds like I'm complaining too much, but it's just like, come on, man, just ha- like have them hunt for the serial killer. 
in a forest. Have him hunt for it in in a town. Have him hunt for him on a boat. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like the Howard Hawks method of I mean, making movies. You know, it it really was about fifteen minutes too long, and I think that would solve both of our issues because it cuts out a lot of that fat in the middle, where it's right. like I don't really I don't really need to see a lot of this. You could really trim down, and and in the beginning you can trim down. A lot of a lot of those scenes that are kind of you, we don't really need them to connect the characters like we right. were already yeah, yeah. we already have it. Like the um, hospital scene is like a little too long, and it, oh, he's yeah, like yeah. he's like kind of preening around. And it's like, all right, come on, I know they're going to team up. Let's just get to it, you know. I two of my favorite scenes clearly involve violence because this movie had some solid violent scenes in it. But he pulls a man's front teeth out with his bare hands. Oh man, so sick! What a power move! Yeah, it's just great. And then he bitch slaps his own guy. Um, and then he puts then it in later a, he puts it in a shot glass and he makes the guy drink. Yeah, which is even cooler. And I was then like, later what, he he gets somebody to like, stab that the, guy in the face. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when he's he, he pours the liquor in the shot glass with the teeth in it, I was like. What's the game here? Is he supposed to drink the teeth? Like, what? <laughs> is he supposed to swallow the teeth like pills? Like, what does he expect to happen? But like, he treats the teeth like they're ice cubes. He just, you know, he downs it, but doesn't doesn't take the teeth with him. It's a great moment. The other moment I love is when the guy just won't shut up when they're having when he's having dinner with the with the other not bosses but his like underbosses towards the end. The guy just won't shut up, and then he just starts bitch slapping him over and over again. <laughs> and then like he takes a phone call and the guy just face plants on the table. <laughs> like dude, dude the humor, there... the humor and the action, everything was so great about this movie. So simple. Like this is a prime example. We've talked about this time and time again on the podcast. Foreign does not equal art house. This was a oh, fun yeah. time of an action movie. You know, it's just a different country's version of it. It's borderline slapstick at points. I mean, it's oh uh, yeah, they they really the humor in it really worked most times. Yeah, no, it was no, it was yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. It was I, I I really enjoyed myself, and like I said, those are little the the thing about it being too long or like the plot or whatever. Those are just quibbles. I mean, I I had a I had a great I had a great fucking time with this movie. I'm telling you, man, uh, South Korea. That's where it's at, guys. Pretty pretty much put on any South Korean movie. Um, obviously like be a little selective, but that to come out and be a little mainstream in the last 10 years. And you're pretty much, you're going to watch a winner. I appreciate you, uh, you putting South Korea out there like this. Cause you, when you brought this up, I was trying to think of like a, not a counter argument, but I was thinking like, Oh, who would I say is the putting out the best stuff right now? I came up with nothing. I don't know if I didn't, if I don't watch enough recent stuff or if I'm, I don't know, but I like you putting I mean, South Korea out there. Like, without you know. mentioning Bong Joon Ho, you've got Burning, you've got a Taxi Driver, you've got Broker, which was great. You've got The Welling, The Handmaiden. I saw The Devil. I mean, there's there's so many you can just keep going, and that's without yeah. even mentioning Bong Joon Ho, which is clearly the prize of South Korea. So, right, right. No, you're right. You're right. There's a lot to lot to admire there. Um, yeah, no, I'm glad you picked these movies. Um, they were really, they were really fun, and they were different too. Because I was, I don't know, for some reason, I was expecting them to be very similar, and they they really weren't at all, honestly. 
Yeah, so that's why there's not really a big theme this week except for South Korean cinema, like South Korean action movies, kind of. Uh, but you want to tell everybody what we're doing next week. We are leaving Asia, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, Jonathan uh, texted me earlier and he goes, he says, uh, he says, what are we doing? Are we continuing our uh, Asian cinema month, you know, that's that's now turned into Asian cinema two months. And, uh, you know, I, I said, no, I think I think it's time. I think I'm going to put an end to it. Uh, and I, uh, I want to focus on Buster Keaton because we have talked about one of his movies, the general, um, I think we did a, like a silent, what, what do we used to call it? Like silent screen video or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where we talked about the general and something else, but I'd like to dedicate a, a whole episode to Buster Keaton and specifically his two movies, uh, Sherlock Jr. And the cameraman Sherlock Jr. Which is. Only 45 minutes long, probably barely counts as a feature, but it is, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it, well, it's just something. It, it's just something of, a, it's just an incredible, incredible movie. If somebody told me they thought Sherlock Jr. was the greatest 45 minutes to be ever, to ever be put on celluloid, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, question that at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited. Buster Keaton, uh, if, if you guys want to follow, follow him along, you haven't seen the movies in a while uh crank them on and they're i think they're both free i think both of them are on tubi or the criterion channel or something so uh, oh speaking yeah. of which uh the the movie we just talked about the the gangster the cop the devil uh that's on freebie so you can watch that for free as well so right with big beautiful commercial breaks right in the middle it's it's the yes, perfect way to so watch many. movies folks but i cannot wait to get into buster keaton really enjoy what i've watched so far so uh yeah i'm excited Outside of that, I think we have gone long enough. Uh, do you have anything to add before we get out of here? No, let's wrap it up. Guys, don't forget, rate and review wherever you listen. Let us know what you thought of Oppenheimer. Overrate it? Rate it just right? Or did you hate it? You know, let us know. Uh, aside from that, we'll see you next week at the Silver Screen Video.